0: Okay, Revelation chapter 5. I'm excited about this lesson today, maybe because I've had two weeks to study it. But uh, I I just think this is, uh, I I put in the note to you this past week uh, about Revelation chapter 5 is an exciting chapter. And I have said to you before that if you want to understand Revelation, you have to go to the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel is the key to understanding prophecy and uh, you're not going to understand prophecy unless you, not, not, not that you have to know everything about the book of Daniel, but you get the timeline. God revealed to Daniel the timeline of the nations, and he revealed to him, uh, you remember, I'm going to just give you a little summary, he revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the timeline as this image, and he saw the golden head, which was him, and then Uh, He went on down and there were different metals in the body and that was successive, and and it gave us the interpretation, that was successive kingdoms that would come. Uh, The Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and then the Roman kingdom. And then then there would be the two legs and then the feet, that's clay and iron, which it means be the Roman kingdom mixed with uh, other people at the end time. And then there's going to be a rock cut out without hands. It's going to come and destroy that image. And and that rock will spread throughout all the earth. And that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see that in the first of Daniel. And then that's the image uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw. And Daniel interpreted it for him. And that's the outline of history, of, of Gentile history, secular history, also Jewish history because they lived under those successive kingdoms. And then you come further in the book of Daniel, and the Lord gives the vision to Daniel, but Daniel sees them as beasts. B-E-A-S-T, beasts. And he sees the What, what, what man saw was the glory of man. okay, And so what, what God revealed to Daniel is the sinfulness of man and these kingdoms that are uh, nations that are without the governing of God. And so he gives a timeline. You remember 70 weeks of years and from the time the decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem until the cutting off of the Messiah would be 69 weeks of years. And, 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 and secular history that is established. Darius gave that Decree, and 483 years passed. Christ died in Jerusalem. The cutting off of the Messiah. So there's seven years remaining. And that se- that last seven years is what we call the tribulation. And there are people who do not believe that it's going to happen. There are people who believe that if we preach the gospel, the world's just going to continue to get better and better until all people are believers. And uh, But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches... That uh, the nations are in rebellion against God, and that it's going to continue until, in this last seven week, seven year period, which is the last week of years, this last seven year period, God Himself is going to judge the nations, and He's going to judge the nation of Israel, and Israel will come to faith in Christ; they will recognize Him as their Messiah. And at the end of that period of time, there'll be a final judgment, and then the millennial kingdom will start, and and that all the prophecies God gave to the nation of Israel are going to come true. So to understand Revelation, which is the end time, you have to understand that timeline from Daniel. And it's hard to summarize it in just a few moments. So what we saw in chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago is the throne room of God. So Daniel, uh, excuse me, John, the writer of Revelation, is transported to see the throne room of God, what I call the throne room of God. And, and there you remember he, he saw the Lord, and in, this is not on the screen, but in chapter 4 and, and verse 3, it said that he saw, the, verse 2, the one who sat on the throne, he, he sat there was like a jasper and a of stone in appearance, And that is the first and the last stone in the breastplate of the high priest. And each stone in the breastplate, the twelve stones, represented the twelve tribes of Israel. So being the first and last stone, it encompasses everything. And so what he saw, what John saw, is he saw the glory of God in relationship to Israel. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, so what he saw, the Sardis stone, and what is the other? The, the Jasper stone. And so what, the, what he saw is that he saw the same thing that the high priest would be wearing, which was given him by God, the high priest would be wearing, which represented the 12 tribes. So when he sees this representation of God, he sees God in relationship to Israel. Okay, and then he sees other beings there in the throne room that we dealt with a couple of weeks ago. And now when we get to chapter 5, which is not a chapter break, but when, now he's going to see Christ. So he's saying God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, and now he's going to see Christ in chapter 5. So read with me verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, so he sees this scroll. Now, what is this scroll? Okay, in, in Daniel chapter 12, I, I want you to think with me, in Daniel chapter 12, and in and, and verse 4 through 9, Daniel was told to seal up the things in this book he was given, to seal up because it's not for this time. Okay, so when you go back, in fact... I'm just going to go there. I don't know if I gave you, did I give you this? Okay, just listen to me for a moment. So here, here's what, at the end of Daniel, this is the end of Daniel's writing, and he had been talking about prophecy that was very near to him. Prophecy that was going to be happening to the nation of Israel very soon, and it was going to come under this Greek leader who was Antosius. And he was a representation of the Antichrist. I know I'm giving you a lot of information. And I hope I don't confuse you. But so this was a near prophecy. So Daniel was prophesying in chapter 11 about this near prophecy, this thing that was just fictionally happened to the nation of Israel, that they were going to be persecuted mercilessly by this man named Antiochus. he was one of the four generals that the, the the Grecian kingdom was divided among after Alexander the Greek died and he was over the Palestinian area and other areas, Egypt, and he's going to persecute them uh, mercifully. And see, during the time that Daniel prophesied these successive kingdoms, they let the Jewish people practice their religion. They they dominated them, they taxed them, but they let them have their identity, they let them practice their religion uh, of Judaism, but this guy is not going to. He's going to desecrate the temple, he, he's going to slay a pig in the temple. He's going to put up an idol in the temple. See, he's typical of the Antichrist, which is the further. Remember, which is the further prophecy. You remember when we went through the Minor Prophets, we saw that a lot of them they they had a near application and a further application uh, to the future, and, and then they had an abiding principle. So Daniel is talking about this Grecian ruler who's going to persecute the people of God mercilessly. And then he, he, he comes to this. And I'm going to just read it very briefly. It's not going to be on the screen. He said, At that time, Michael, the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So Michael is the archangel over Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble... Such as never was since never such as never was since there was a nation, Israel. Even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in a book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. those who turn many to righteousness as like the stars forever and ever. Now listen to what he says. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So what he's saying to Daniel, he's saying, this prophecy that you've been given is not for this time. Now, the one about the Greek ruler was, but, but what else had been revealed to Daniel? He said, it's not for this time. You're to shut up the book. Okay, it's very clear. Seal the book until the time of the end. So what's the time of the end? John is going to give us the time of the end. John is writing the revelation of Christ. The time of the end. When Christ is going to be revealed, unveiled to the world. Christ has been veiled, V-I-E-L, I like how you spell it, I hope you understand what I'm saying. He, he's been... I guess that's not right then. Huh? Okay. He, he's been veiled to the world, and they don't believe who he is, but he's going to be unveiled, and that's what revelation means. So when we read in, in verse 4 of Daniel 12, he said, you seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I've heard preached all my life that, We're living in that time because we have this electronic equipment. But that's really not what it means in the context. What it means is that in this end time, there will be an understanding, and and those who read it will proclaim it, there'll be an understanding that this is the judgment of God. that, That the knowledge of, that God is at work. That this is God's plan, this is God's operation. go to Habakkuk and it says let him let him who reads and understand run let him who run so what what it means is that at this end time this book has been sealed until the end time and then it would be revealed and people will understand it and they will preach it proclaim it believe it live by it be warned by it so he's saying that you're waiting until this time okay when you get then back to Revelation, chapter five, verse one, this book is in the hand of God, and it's, it, it has the revelation of the end time. And so now's the time. Now is the time uh, that it's going to be revealed. And then we read this in verse two. "Then I saw a strong angel, Strong means important. It doesn't mean strength physically, but it means important. I think it was Michael. It's not recorded there, but I think it was Michael, the angel of the Jewish people. We saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. When John sees this angel and he listens and no one's worthy to open the scroll and John knows Daniel, he knows that this is the revelation of God for the world, for Israel in particular. And so he is weeping. Now imagine that. He's in the presence or, or, or spiritually anyway he, I don't know whether he's there physically or spiritually but he's in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and no one is worthy to open this and there have been many people throughout history who wanted to rule the world, but just because they were willing didn't make them worthy and you, you could name you know Hitler Mussolini you, you could you could name them uh, hannibal you could just, you, you could name whoever Saddam Hussein you know, you. I started naming presidents, but I won't do that. But, but you could. But no one's worthy, and worthy means you have to have the righteousness of God. You have to be able to go before God and take this out of His hand, and and, and no one's worthy. And then in verse five, but one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah." The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So now he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he sees the triune God all there together. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit. And now he sees Christ. And how does he see Him? And, and the identification here, we see Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and... The root of David. Okay, so he's identifying him as the God of Israel. Now, Christ is our God as well. Christ is our Savior. He is our Christ, and we who are Gentiles. But here, he's identifying him by his earthly origins. And when as you go back to Genesis, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the scepter shall never depart from Judah. So this, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah's called the lion tribe. And he's also identified here as the son of David, or the root of David. But root is capitalized if in your Bible, if you're looking at your Bible. I don't know if it is on the screen or not. It, it, it is. So let me say this. When you're looking at him, the root of David doesn't, mean that he's a descendant of David. He is a descendant of David. But that's really not what he's speaking about. It's it's not like he is a a little shoot that comes up from the root of the nation of Israel. But what it does mean, he is the root himself in which David comes. And Jesus, there, there is a psalm that we'll read in just a moment, but in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus interprets that saying, that psalm that means that he is David's son. And listen to what Jesus said. This comes out of Matthew 22. And and Jesus is speaking to those who are questioning who he is. And he said, If Jesus is David's son, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So, The identification, the point I want to make, the identification is that he is the root from which David came and and he is the root from which Israel came. He is the root of, of the promises of God. He is the root of the covenants of God. He is the originator of everything. You remember when we went through Hebrews and we read in the beginning that he is the creator and the sustainer, that he is the originator of all things, So this is who John sees. But he sees him as a lamb slain. I don't know what a lamb slain looks like, but to to us, we would think about an animal that has the blood upon him or the wound upon him. And I think what he's seeing is he's seeing, and the commentators that I like the best are saying that what he sees in Jesus as he sees him there He sees Him in His compassion. He he sees Him as uh, encompassing His sacrifice. I think I've told you in time past, I think when we go to heaven, we will see Jesus with His wounds. And I think through all eternity, in His resurrected human body, that's now glorified, and even in His glory, we will acknowledge him as having died on our behalf. You know, I, I heard people say before that, you know, that once you die and you go to heaven, there'll be no memory of what happened on earth. And I don't understand that. I, of course there's going to be a memory of how we have, how could we glorify Christ for him saving us if we couldn't remember we were sinners? Now, there'll be no shame in that. There There'll be all that's going to be wiped away. All those tears are going to be wiped away. So, and I don't know how to tell you how that happens. I don't know how to tell you that I can remember how sinful I was, but I have no shame in it because now I'm in the presence of Christ. But I will understand at that point the purposes and plan of God, how that He used my sinfulness for me to come to a place to glorify my Savior. Does that make sense to you? So we're going to see Christ, my opinion, we're going to see Christ as the Lamb slain. We're going to see what John saw. He's not going to look like a lamb, an animal, but he's going to look like our Savior. We're going to acknowledge him as Savior. I'm trying to impress upon you that you grasp this because you could do this today. You could go through your life and face the trials that you face. And and know that you have a Savior who's who is present in your life by the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, who cares about you, and He's going to care about you eternally, and He's going to care about you eternally. Why wouldn't He care about you today? Why, when you're struggling and you're thinking, no one knows. Like I read this letter from Jennifer, no one knows what you're going through. No one knows the depth of your anguish or your 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 hurt. No, when no one understands that, Christ does. He's your Savior. He's your Lamb. He's the Lamb slain on your behalf. Uh, I, I'm preaching to you. I, hope you. I hope you grasp it. It will help you as you go through today. It will help you as you go through the trials of life that you face. So when he sees him, um, that's how he sees him. And he's identified... As the lamb that came from Israel, and and so again, what I'm trying to impress upon you is that when you get to chapter four, the church is not there anymore. The, the church is not the church is gone. The church has we who know. Excuse me, we who know Christ, we're in heaven now. We're in. We've been raptured out. We've been resurrected. Uh, if we died, those who believed in Christ have died, they're resurrected. Those who are alive and remain, 1 Thessalonians 4, caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so should they ever be the Lord. So the church is out of the picture. So when when you're looking then at the tribulation period, the church is not there. Now there are people who believe that they are. They're going to be surprised one day if they know Christ. They're going to, They're going to be happily surprised that they're not going to go through the tribulation. But so we're not there, and, and so here' they're dealing with Israel. The, the tribulation is, Jeremiah said, the time of Jacob's trouble. It, it's a part of the prophecy of Daniel concerning Israel. And, and the nations are going to be judged, but they're going to be judged. You remember in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus said, you, you didn't do it to the least of these. You didn't feed them when they were hungry. You didn't clothe them when they were without clothing. You remember that prophet. Remember that Jesus saying that. He's speaking to the nations about Israel, and and so here, when when we're going through the Book of Revelation, the central part is the judgment of Israel and the judgment of the nations and the establishment of the millennial kingdom. And so if you remember that, it'll help you understand the book of Revelation. It's not, I, I'll start to say it's not that difficult to understand. It is, it is difficult. This is one of the places you have to study to show yourself approved. And you, you, have, to, you have to think hard and, and grasp it in context with the other 65 books of the Bible. But here we read, not to weep, John, because... Jesus is worthy. He has prevailed in, in verse 5. He's prevailed. Now, how did He prevail? He prevailed through His death. Yeah, I, I mentioned to you before, John Owens has written a book. Uh, he's one of the Reformers, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And, and the title of the book is The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. And, and, and Christ prevailed. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Death is swallowed up in victory. And why is it? Because Christ defeated death on the cross. And so He's prevailed. So He's worthy. He's prevailed because He's proved Himself to to be worthy, to be righteous, and to be justified, and and to have fulfilled the the work of God. So in verse 6, we read this, "...and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne... And one of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here he is. um, uh, I was talking to you about the lamb. We hadn't even read that part yet. But so here's his lamb and and he's having, having as though having been slain. Seven horns. Horns are... Through prophecy, through Daniel, through the the prophets in the Old Testament, horns are representative of governmental power. And in Revelation, they're going to be representative of governmental power. And so if Jesus has seven, seven is the figure of completion. Jesus has all power. So he's omnipotent, all powerful. And then he has seven eyes. You remember we've already seen that the Holy Spirit... There's seven spirits. The Holy Spirit is seven uh, uh, attributes that go out into the world, and and so Jesus has seven eyes. It, it, again, it's the word of completion. It means he's omni- omnificent, um, omniscient. If you get the word right, omniscient it means all knowing. So he's all powerful. He's all knowing. That's that's what John sees by the Spirit. He sees Christ in His glory, but He sees Him in His attributes toward the world and toward the created order. Verse 7, "...that He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And now when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." So he prevailed to open the scroll and he is worthy to open the scroll. He takes it out of the hand of the Father and the worship begins. What we read in verse 7, when he came and took the scroll to the right hand of him, we set it on the throne. Jesus is taking the official control of the world. He, he is he's taking over Today he's in the background. Today he has to be appropriated by faith and faith alone. He 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 is the, the nations are in his hand, but he's not making them conform. He's not making you conform. He's not making anyone conform. Anyone can be saved by believing in him, but he but he's not forcing himself upon them. Now he's going to. Now he's going to take literal control. So he, the authority over the world, over the nations, is officially given to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to go back to Psalm 110 that I quoted a while ago. The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then Jesus applied that to himself, talking about him being the son of David. But I, I, I want you to think that what Daniel saw in one of his visions is now happening... So you see the continuity of the Bible. So again, I'm going to go back to Daniel and this is going to be on the screen. And so I'm going to go back to Daniel chapter 7. And let me find it. And I'm going to read it to you while it's on the screen. So Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man... Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, so Daniel has this vision of what's happening in Revelation in heaven and and John is now describing it to us when you come to the end of John's writing in revelation chapter twenty two he's instructed don't seal this book okay Daniel was told to seal it because it was for the end time it wasn't for Daniel's time it was for the end time and John is said as John is told don't seal what you've written about this end time because now is the time okay so what what Daniel saw is what we've just read. He saw what happened in the throne room of God. He saw that even though he sealed the book, that he had this vision of it being given to Christ from the ancient of days. So he he's he saw this vision that was 700 years prior to this, uh, or probably you know 3,000 years prior to this, if it's going to happen soon. That he saw this, and, and now. It's being it's happening in heaven and it's going to be happening soon. Pretty interesting, isn't it? See, God, God, the, the the Bible is one unit, and and you can trust it because God knows exactly what He's doing. He knows what He's teaching us. He's teaching us to trust. What He gave to Daniel to reveal to the people who were reading Daniel at that time, was for their benefit. And what he's given to John is for the people of the end time for their benefit, that they might have faith in what was happening in their world in spite of the hardship. And the Bible does that for us throughout the Bible. I want to give you just a few of the Psalms. I'm just going to quote one-line Psalms. not going to be on the board. Concerning Christ's rule over the nations... It's through through the Bible. I'll just pick some Psalms, just some phrases out of the Psalms to to let you know that this is throughout the Bible. Okay? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Has that happened yet? No. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne, 47a. Is Is God reigning over the nations? He is in a sense today, but not physically, not visually but he's going to. Uh, Psalm 59, 8. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. Psalm 67, 2. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. See, now we move from judgment into the millennial kingdom in the, in the Psalms. Psalm seventy two eleven. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him, All nations shall serve him. 72.17 His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Now that's not happening in our world. So it means that there is a time in the future that it is going to happen. And God's going to rule the nations. So when these things happen, the worship begins. And we read in verse 8, He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, and they began to worship. And we read that, uh, we'll continue to read on, and fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take... The scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And sometimes people, some some manuscripts change that us to them, but it, but it's the same. It's, it's those who are redeemed, whether it's us or them. It's those who are redeemed. So he's saying that you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you want to talk about racial discrimination being solved, it is solved in the cross. The, Paul said that God's created every nation out of one blood. And so we are people created in his image. doesn't matter what your outside looks like. It doesn't matter about your heritage. It doesn't matter what part of the world you came from. In God's sight, there is no racial discrimination, and He's going to save people. And when you have these four categories, it's simply talking about every people group. And He gives four descriptions of it, so it's made plain that God's going to save people out of every people group. It makes no difference to God what your racial makeup is. He's going to, if you trust in Christ, He will save you, and you become eternally a child of God. And I I wish people knew that. I wish I knew that without any quibbling in my own heart, in my my own mind. And then he goes beyond that. Not only is he going to save them, but in verse 10, and made us, or them, either one, kings and priests, and some manuscripts say, you may have a note in your Bible, he's made us a kingdom of priests. So he's made us a kingdom of priests. You know what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom? In the millennial kingdom, you and I are going to rule with Christ. You know Christ as Savior. We're going to rule with Christ. I'm going to be over Pebble Beach. and you could, Maybe you'll get to choose where you're going to be. So we're going to rule with Christ, and, and He's made us a kingdom of priests. And what will that rule be? It will be to His glory. We will proclaim the glory of Christ. We're a kingdom of priests. And and priests means we represent Christ to the people. And, And during that millennial kingdom, people are going to be born who don't know Christ. They're going to be born in their human bodies. Now, we'll no longer be in a human body. We'll be in a glorified body. But they're going to be born in a human body And it's a sinful body, and they need to be saved. And we who are ruling, that's what our rule will be. Our rule will be not telling people, you do this, you do that, and I'm going to slap you if you do that. That's how we rule our kids. But it's not going to be that. It's going to be, we're we're going to represent Christ. We're a kingdom of priests. And doesn't that excite you? People say, you know, heaven sounds bored. A guy told me this past week, or he asked me, he said, we were playing golf, and he said, uh, if, if we play golf in heaven, will ever shot be a hole in one? <laughs> and I said, does that not excite you? <laughs> and I said, you know, and he said, well, it seemed like that would be kind of boring. Heaven is not going to be boring, uh, whether we play golf or not. Heaven is not going to be boring. You know, when we rule and reign with Christ, we're going to be fully satisfied, totally satisfied and fully engaged in worship, and and worship is when we glorify Christ. Let me ask you, this is not in my notes, you won't find it, but we have just a minute. You know, sometimes, this is what C.S. Lewis taught me. Sometimes, when I've gone to see something, I know when I've gone on a mission trip, and Donna hasn't gone, and... You know, I, I, I went to Nepal and I saw the Himalayas and you you see the, the grandeur of, of the of the creation. And and you know what my I want I said, you know what I want? I want a, I, I want Donna to see this. And if you're married and you have that relationship, you have that same feeling. You know what you want is that you want glory expressed. And when you do is, it, it fulfills the glory. And when we know Christ, we want our kids and our grandkids and you, we want people to acknowledge His majesty. And it fulfills us. It, it, it gives us... You know why? That's why we take pictures everywhere we go. That's why there's Facebook. You understand that? Is it, We want people to think, okay, this is how I feel. Look at this picture. You know? Your kids may look dumb to you, but they're my kids. You know, the, you know the, that, that's why we do that. Do you understand that? And, and, and it's in us that we want to express the glory of God in creation and in relationships and, and, and feeling. We, we want to do that. And when we do, it's magnified in us. It magnifies Christ, but it's magnified in us. So heaven is not going to be boring. I don't know what we're going to... We're going to be priests. We're going to be a kingdom of priests to God. So we have the prayer of the saints. We have a new song. And He made us kingdom and priests who reign on the earth. And then in verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne... Uh, let me find my place. The living creatures and the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the lamb who was slain." When we're redeemed, and when we stand in the presence of Christ, we're going to worship, and we're, this is the essence of worship. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is our Savior. And worthy is he to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Jesus said that during this time, you will be hated. He said this to his disciples. You will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Matthew chapter 24. Talking about during the, tri- during the tribulation time. <clears throat> but you remember what Paul said? Paul said this about himself and about the people who were ministering with him in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, We're having been made the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things. The off-scouring would be like if you go out your back door and the dirt is accumulated, the dust is accumulated, leaves, whatever, and you're just sweeping it off. Or you're back in the days when you butchered things in the kitchen, you're just sweeping it. He said, Paul said, that's how we're seen by the world. But that's not how God sees us. God said, that's the time now, but there's coming a time when we're going to exalt His majesty and exalt His glory. So why is there going to be this great, terrible tribulation time on the earth? It is, it is a revelation to, the, to all created order that Christ is God. It's going to be a revelation of His Majesty. It's going to be a vindication—that's my word. It's going to be a vindication of His glory. See, the world doesn't do that now. The world sees Him as irrelevant, and uh, to to do that is rebellion, and it's it's a rebellion against a holy God. It's a rebellion against your own Creator, and and it it, it is a affront. To the majesty and glory of God. And yet he doesn't react to it today. And yet there's a common grace that is upon our world today that, that the common grace means that God doesn't kill you instantly for your sin. not talking about Christians, but I'm talking about those who reject Him and rebel against Him and ignore Him and belittle Him and make His people the offscouring of the world See, he could immediately bring judgment, but he doesn't. There's a common grace. But one day, he's going to reveal his majesty to the world. And that happens in the tribulation period. That's the purpose of the tribulation period. And he brings judgment to the nations. So we will be there worshiping him. The angels will worship him. Uh, saying with a loud voice, verse 12, worthy of the Lamb. And then in verse 13, down to verse 14, all creation and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sets them on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Okay, so here's where we are. We have seen uh, in John's writing, The book of Revelation, we saw the things that were, which John, we saw the things that are, which is the we we skipped over that. Chapter 2 and 3, which is the churches, the church age. And now we're in the throne of heaven. And we see this book that's been sealed in Daniel's time, but now Christ has it in his hand. In chapter in chapter 6, he's going to begin to break the seals. So and 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 he has the authority over everything that's contained in the book. And when he begins to break the seals, the events happen. I put in the notes that G. Campbell Morgan said that the throne room of God is the established order. It's the reality of everything. And when he begins to break the seals, this is the executive activity. And what we're going to do next week, Lord willing, is we're going to go into Matthew chapter 24 before we go into Revelation chapter 6. Because in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives an outline of the tribulation. Jesus didn't leave his disciples without any knowledge of what John's going to write uh, about the tribulation. Jesus outlines it. If you want a little homework, read Matthew chapter 24 before you come next week. And look what he says and next week, we will outline what Jesus says about the tribulation period. Uh, so it's not just in the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation is already outlined by Jesus. From here on, when he begins to break the seals, judgments begin to happen. Some of them are brought by man against man. And, and then what you find in the last three and a half years of the seven-year period, it is a judgment of God upon the nations, upon the people of the nation, a direct judgment uh, uh, of God. So let me pray with you, and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit gives us uh, a measure of understanding. And uh, Father, we want to glorify you. We want to trust you. Lord, we want to know that our lives are in your hand, our times are in your hand, uh, lord we look at governments and we look at movements and in our world today not just in our own nation but in our world today we look at history and it seems like that things are completely out of control but father they're not you're bringing your purposes to pass you're giving man time kind to time to repent and to acknowledge uh, lord your grace And I pray that you'd help us who are already a kingdom of priests to make your name known as much as we can to those that we associate with and uh, to your glory. And so, Father, help us understand. Help us to have faith, Lord, knowing that you are going to reveal yourself one day. And uh, we, uh, Lord, it won't be we who are vindicated, but it will be you who are vindicated for all the world to see throughout all of history and that every person who has ignored you, re- rejected you, uh, belittled you, will be held accountable for that to their own um, Lord to their own hurt, and uh, might it not be true for those going forward, but might might we see people repent and acknowledge your majesty and you be glorified in their salvation. We pray and ask these things in christ 's name, amen. well Lord bless you I, I know this is a uh, you know, it's hard when I study to think, okay, what do I put in? What do I leave out? But uh, you can understand the book of Revelation. So uh, I, I, that's what I want you to, to grasp it. And so Lord bless you. i will see you in church.